Hello and welcome back to The Consistency Project with E.C. Sienkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings and every episode I have the privilege of having a discussion with E.C. on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, it's our goal to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you for tuning into the show. How are you, E.C.? Good. How are you? I'm great. We have listener questions this week. We've got mm-hmm. quick bites. Quick bites is when you sort through all the many questions you receive from listeners and from folks on Instagram, and we try to tackle five of them in roughly about five minutes each. No promises, but we're, we are we, we do our best here. That's the so you idea. Jump right into it. <laughs> that's the yeah, plan. That's the idea. Yeah. You want to jump right in? Let's do it. All right. Cool. First question is from Carrie. She asked, I've been thinking more about a post you did on Instagram a while back with an image of chocolate pretzels and the heading, if you binge it, don't buy it. It makes perfect sense to me and seems like the most reasonable approach. But then there's this other opinion that pushes us to learn to live with our favorite foods and embrace moderation. But frankly, I find the keep it out of the house strategy much more effective. I've even thought that I should only buy and make treats for my family that they like, but that I don't, just so I'm not as tempted to overeat. I am so conflicted. Yeah. I don't know what the question is in there, but but let's address it. Yeah, I think it's this idea of like how to practice moderation, right? Yeah, so we talked about like a bunch and I think we all know that my opinion is like what I said in that Instagram post, if you binge it, don't buy yep. it. One of the best things that you can do is keep your food environment clear. We've talked about that as, as one of the best strategies. It's a place that you can control. But I do think that this is asking like, is this getting like too hyper obsessive and sort of teaching us that we can never have this stuff, this extreme elimination idea. And I I think there's kind of two thoughts here. The first being is let's be realistic in your own life, because this won't be true across the board, how often moderation and snacks sneaks in in other locations, Mm -hmm. social events, holidays, trips, what does your office have around? Is that a place that you have donuts or bagels? Or, I don't know. Like all those foods are fine, but how often is this stuff sneaking in? How often do you go out to eat and order dessert? Do you take the kids out for ice cream after sports games? What are, what are all of that stuff that comes together? And I don't know that life is totally back to normal post-pandemic, but pre-pandemic, that stuff is constant. Constant. Yep. I think we're getting back to that level. I don't know if it's quite as constant of having snacks around everywhere, but in my opinion, in most lives, that sneaks in enough that that provides the balance and moderation for then keeping the house clear. Now, it might not. Maybe you don't do all of those things, or maybe you have fewer, hol- whatever your permutation is. But I think just kind of reflect on that. And do I already have moderation in places outside the house? Mm-hmm. I also think that we just have to be realistic about how well we do when they're in the house. Do we practice moderation with them? You know, if you have the weight, health, and fitness goals that you already wanted and you're already at your goals, then keep whatever around, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. I'm not against this stuff. Assuming that you're getting in enough of the healthy stuff, assuming you're getting in enough protein and assuming your calories in control. So if you're doing that and you have a bunch of cookies sitting in the fridge, cupboard, whatever it is, fine. That's fine. There's plenty of people who also can buy this stuff and that's just how they consume it in the right quantities. But it's really in the case of somebody, if you have a weight goal and you're having a hard time reaching it, and part of it's because of willpower, I I don't know if I want to use that word, willpower or just the temptation of it around all the time. Okay, well, then we have to change that such that it's not really affecting it. I do want to kind of just touch on briefly because she mentioned with her family And I I do think we talked about this a little bit before and about how to talk about food with kids. 
I'm okay with parents, again, not being a parent, I'm okay with parents calling these things treats or, or junk food, so long as there's not this, like, really negative emotion or attitude about them that would be like, oh my gosh, we never eat that stuff because it's so harmful. Like that's Mm -hmm. more of the problem in my opinion, when we're dealing with kind of the family in moderation is the attitude about this stuff necessarily versus like whether or not we're consuming it in the house or outside of the home. So for me, for parents, and it would be more of like, let's have the conversation of like, Hey, we need a good amount of fruits and veggies. We need a good amount of whole foods, be it grains or nuts. We need a good amount of protein in our diet. Great. And then we have these other things. Maybe it's at the sporting event. Maybe it's sometimes at home and they are just part of the diet overall, but not the significant part. And so I would encourage Carrie to think about that too. If she's worried about how do I teach my children this, it's going to be more your attitude and how you handle them versus like, you know, whether or not they're distinctly in the cupboard or whether or not you have them at a family dinner at a restaurant. Got it. Next question is from Travis. Pros and cons of drinking water with a meal. Yeah, I mean, I think the main perceived negative about drinking water with a meal is that it's going to impact digestion in a negative way. Like it might dilute digestive juices or you might not absorb everything if you drink too much water. And that's not the case. Like you can Mm. drink water, digestion will work just fine. So I wouldn't worry about it from a negative health perspective. Obviously, if you drink a ton, it can start to impact how much you're eating overall, and then we can look at that. But just from the standpoint of digestion absorption, not an issue. Now, the potential pros of drinking water, one of them, it's really obvious, if you are replacing a soda, (laughs) Mm -hmm. a really big glass of juice with water, this is a way that we can cut down on calories in the meal. And typically our liquids don't fill us up as much. So if you're spending a lot of calories on Coke, you know, and replacing with water, this is, this is a great strategy to do for sure. Now, whether or not this really does ultimately lead to weight loss versus cutting down on the calories in that single meal is questionable there, you know, to really show that in research, we'd have to follow people around for many, many days and watch everything that they eat. So it's going to be these metabolic ward studies to show that water is really affecting overall intake. And instead, what I can find is just some short term studies where people might have water before they go to a lunch buffet. Maybe they cut down on how much they have at the lunch buffet, but we really don't know what happens in the rest of the day in terms of their caloric intake. So is there a pro that that water really is going to cut down on your calories overall? I think if you make a distinct trade for any caloric beverage you have and you don't make other Mm -hmm. choices during the day, sure. But is it a foolproof way to go about cutting calories in the diet? Probably not. The foolproof way to do that is counting calories or macronutrients. (laughs) (laughs) And so from a water standpoint, I would just approach it. Hey, drink as much water as you need during the day to stay hydrated. That pale yellow urine is a great guide for that. Might happen with meals, might happen in between meals, but I wouldn't worry so much about the timing around that. It's baffling to me that people eat meals without, uh, without water or without. Oh, really? Some, That's yeah, me. like I. Baffling <laughs> I to like me, like don't. I, like when we, like when we have dinner here, and if Michelle, you know, sets the table, she, she never puts. Sure. Wa- I'm like where yes. is like we, <laughs> we need Michelle, water. We need like chat. I can't. Like it, it's not a meal unless I've got something to drink next to it, and it's always water. It's not like I have a problem with that, but it's just like just like if it's not there, it's like I, this isn't a meal yet. It's very That's strange funny. to me. I guess just because the way I grew up, we drank right. a lot of milk with meals growing up. Okay. So to me, it's like there ha- there needs to be something. Yeah, and when liquid. I see people eating without a drink, I'm like, how are, how are you doing that? It's <laughs> genuinely baffling to me. That's funny. I'm not a big water with meals person. 
All right. Next question is from Nicole. I've heard you say that you are not a big supplement supporter. Do you not put collagen and protein brands in that same category? Just curious how you view them. Yeah, this is a really great question because, yeah, I'll often put on social media. It's like, oh, I put collagen in my coffee yep. or I use protein. And admittedly, those are supplements. And then Nicole's like, hey, <laughs> I mm-hmm. thought you don't recommend supplements. So, you know, it gets back to looking at like, what are we considering a supplement? And, and I think more so than that, what's the end result that we're looking for from the supplement? So it is true that I'm not a big fan of supplements. And, and supplements are generally meant to describe these isolated compounds or nutrients that are added to the diet to achieve adequate quantity of the necessary nutrients. Now that could be adequate quantity of the macronutrients, protein, carb, and fat. That could be adequate quantity of the micronutrients, the essential vitamins, minerals. It could even be fiber. And then there's a lot of other supplements that fall in these, I don't know, bioactive substances category. That's sort of like (laughs) these compounds in plants that we don't really know what they're all doing, but maybe they're related to, I don't know, inflammation or, or something like that. We're still learning a lot about what they're doing. So Really, even though I say I'm not pro-supplements, supplements are good or fine if they allow you to achieve this desired end goal of the right number of macronutrients, micronutrients, fiber, you get the idea. Mm-hmm. So it's just that, in my opinion, most of the supplements that people are taking are not helping them get to those endpoints, except protein powders. Mm. <laughs> so generally people have a hard time hitting these recommended protein targets for weight, health, and fitness goals. That number is the 0.7 grams per pound that we've talked about before. And you'll find that lots of other people in kind of the fitness space will suggest even higher than that. And so people have a hard time hitting that. And so protein powders, be it the collagen and the coffee, be it the, the, whatever the shake after the workout, I find are just a way that people can get more protein in their diet. And they also happen to be convenient and kind of flexible. And so this is a way that they can kind of end up hitting that endpoint while also keeping the others in check. I will say, I guess, I guess a negative against the protein powders, whey, collagen, whatever it is, is they aren't going to be as filling as a steak. And so if you mm-hmm. have somebody who's like, oh, wow, I'm doing all these shakes and I'm starving. It's like, okay, well, let's let's go ahead and switch to real food for our protein instead. And so there are going to be some cases where I, I really don't even recommend them as a supplement to get after these goals. But if, if they just find them flexible and they aren't necessarily more hungry, then again, they can be a great way that they get their protein. Now onto those other endpoints, achieving the right number of carbs, achieving the right number of fat, achieving the right number of micronutrients. We did do that podcast recently on like the cheap minimalist diet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whatever <laughs> we called it. That helped kind of demonstrate that like our whole foods are really nutrient dense in these micronutrients Some really basic ones can get us to those endpoints. And the problem when we try to hit those quality endpoints with supplements in the sense of a pill form is you eat this pill, it maybe has the vitamin E, the pill is not big enough to fill up your stomach. So you're not satisfied. So now you're mm-hmm. left to go figure out, okay, well, what am I going to do to fill up my stomach and actually have some calories? What we find is that we tend to overshoot carbs and fat because those are in the foods that we think are delicious. So you might take in the vitamin E and maybe you hit that end point by taking in that supplement. But now we go and we don't have the whole food. So we overshoot on carbs and fat because we had too many protein bars and Mm -hmm. veggie chips or something like that. And so what I find is that there are people who are taking these supplements in the name of health, but they're still not getting after the endpoints they want because they're not filling them up like whole foods do. So whole foods give us a better combination of this quality and quantity that we're after. So there are going to be plenty of cases where supplements are okay, mostly in this protein 
category. I could even figure out sometimes when people are deficient in nutrients and for some reason they need some targeted supplement approach. But as far as I remember from one of the articles I saw from the FDA, we've got over 80,000 supplements on the market. It's like, what? <laughs> what are we buying? <laughs> what are we buying? This is not helping us achieve total quantity in terms of protein, carbon, fat, total quantity in terms of all the vitamins and minerals, total amount of fiber. And so that's why I, I really recommend we don't need a lot of supplements in our diet. Next question is from Cecile. She asks, what are your thoughts on the movie, The Game Changers? Yes, I am four years late to answering this one. <laughs> I remember I said, I, people were asking me this when this came out. And I'm just like, I think you did one post yeah. on it on Instagram. And I remember I literally just sent like every, I just sent everybody <laughs> that post. I was just like, here. Here's the answer. <laughs> Yeah, so I hadn't watched it, but I got this question and I was like, okay, let's watch it. Let's mm -hmm. let's take a look and see what it is. It's a documentary, for those who don't know, about athletes who became vegan and then experienced better performance outcomes by their vegan diet. As a general sort of overview reflection, it was kind of hard to watch. Mm. I was trying to take notes during it and like every time a sentence was made, I sort of had like, well, sort of... <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the notes got a little bit long. I mean, I think generally we just have to remember that like documentaries for Netflix are really meant to sell and to get a lot of mm -hmm. views. So if this came out with like, hey guys, we're gonna eat a balanced diet of calories in the right quantity <laughs> from mixed animal and plant-based foods. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, we're going to follow a diet that's now in the, you know, current USDA guidelines. It's just mm -hmm. not going to get a lot of attention. <laughs> so it's got to have some sort of edge to it, something dramatic about it. And, you know, that that's kind of the purpose. I don't want to recover a lot of the topics that we've kind of touched on already related to that, that will be in our plant versus animal-based podcast on our saturated fat podcast, as well as the risk of meat and cancer podcast. We'll put the links for those in the show notes. I think those kind of go into my opinion on those topics quite well. But the ones that I wanted to bring up that I think are a little bit new or nuanced related to game changers is there's really these two ideas, in my opinion, that they're trying to convince you of in their documentary. And the first is that protein is not a good source of energy for athletes. And two, animal protein is inferior to plant protein for health and performance. And so let's start with the first one, that protein is not a good source of energy. This one's easy. I agree. Mm. <laughs> so like, if you want to be a competitive athlete, yeah, you need an adequate amount of protein for all the things protein is used for. We talk about lean mass development all the time. Yeah, we need a certain amount of strength for sure. But the energy for your activities, that's going to come, especially in our high intensity scenario. Yes, we want carbs. This is true. They give this example of this MMA fighter who I guess pre-fight was boasting kind of to their competitor and to the public that they were only eating steak and they were about to go mm. up against an athlete who was this plant-based athlete. And of course, the guy who was only eating steak lost. He gassed out. And to me, I'm watching this like, you know, thing while it's playing. And I'm thinking to myself, who the heck were the coaches? <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> where was the coach for this guy? You know, MMA is a high intensity interval based workout. It's the whole fight gone bad thing from the CrossFit mm -hmm. workout. It relies heavily, heavily, heavily on the glycolytic pathway, which again comes from carbohydrates. So to me, it's like embarrassed. Maybe he was so headstrong about it that the coaches tried to tell him. We don't really know what happened behind the scenes, but this is biology 101. Like, yes, we're going to use carbs for high intensity. And if you take anything away from the Game Changers documentary, take that away. <laughs> mm. I do then wanted to touch on the second part, which was 
animal protein is inferior to plant protein for health and performance. That's incorrect. (laughs) Mm. What would be correct is adequate calories, macronutrients, and micronutrients optimize health and performance. So that's like not as catchy though, right? Like if somebody is to come out with a documentary and they're saying animal protein is way worse than plant protein versus, Hey, adequate nutrition is, is the Mm -hmm. way to do this. Which one is going to get more attention? Now, I really want to stress to our audience that a lot of your confusion will go away when you stop thinking about food as like, this is a steak. And instead think about hey, when I eat this steak, I'm getting this many grams of protein. I'm getting this much amount of fat. I'm getting this vitamins and minerals in that steak. And we have to get to those endpoints across all the foods that we pick that day. And so there are plenty of diets that are doing that with meat. And there are plenty of diets doing that or not doing that, also eating meat. So you can eat meat and hit the endpoints appropriately, and you can eat meat and not hit the endpoints appropriately. And the same thing mm-hmm. is going to be true with vegan. And so, you know, I think part of this too is they were trying to convince you that you can get enough protein by eating vegan and that you, you know, aren't going to suffer because you would assume that you're on a lower protein diet. That's fine. Sure, you can. Sure you can. And to be honest, it's going to be easier to get all of the nutrients you need if you go vegan versus carnivore. But I just don't know why we have to keep arguing these extremes. (laughs) Like, why are we picking between vegan and carnivore? Why don't we pick a mixed animal plant-based diet that we kind of talked about before that's going to allow us to achieve these endpoints in a sustainable way? So, you know, I know that's a kind of a long answer here, but I think one, yes, carbs are good for high intensity. And two, yes, you can get the nutrition you need for performance on a vegan diet. Do you have to do it that way? No. The one other thing that I want to bring up though, that drives me nuts about documentaries is throughout this documentary, they feature like 10, 15, I don't know, a handful of elite athletes to show you that they made the switch to vegan and now they're like competing at a much higher level and all of this stuff. And and that's the problem with the documentaries is while you're watching it, you feel like you have so many examples of this working. I can assure you we can find at least as many athletes, if not way, way more who are doing the same level of performance, if not better, and also including meat in their diet or ones who were vegan and switched to something more animal based and improved their <laughs> diet. Mm-hmm. Right. Because again, it's whether or not they got those endpoints of total macros, micros, fiber, correct. Not necessarily whether or not they're eating meat. And I think that's really the, the big takeaways that I would want people to know about game changers. And ultimately you don't have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to say on that. If people really want like the blow by blow of they said this and the research does or does not say that, I'm pretty sure Lane Norton, who I've referred to before, he goes by BioLane. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure on one of his blogs or YouTube, he's done a blow by blow of like article by article. Mm. Yeah, the thing I think about, and I also have I haven't seen it, but the to your point about the being wary of documentaries, the thing that people I think we confuse and we. We lump together unless we've been unless we've literally learned otherwise. We we get confused between journalism mm. and filmmaking, and they're yes. very different things. When you're making a film, when you're making a documentary, you make so as as the person making it, you make so many choices 
into what you show, what you film, the people you talk to, the the questions you ask. There are so many layers of decisions. And then they present it as though here's the truth. Mm-hmm. Here's the facts. But the truth is there were hundreds, if not thousands of decisions that led to this being the facts that we will present. Totally. And I think we just, again, because especially now we're so inundated with media, we're so inundated with people who appear to be experts Mm -hmm. that we forget because we just never learn. I mean, I did because I literally went, I went to film school, but we like, we don't learn about all of the decisions and all the filters that, that those decisions go through and all the perspectives that need and all the choices that have to be made to make a document. Like we just watch and we think, Oh, well that's truth. I just, 10 people just told me in that film that they're better off doing that. So that must be true. Mm -hmm. But to your point, how many athletes would say the exact opposite? If as the filmmaker, you can't say, but also these people (laughs) over here are having just as much success, then it's different. Mm -hmm. We can say it's good, bad, whatever, but it's, it's not, it is no longer this journalistic thing that we just sort of apply to everything that isn't, you know, that doesn't have Tom Cruise in it, Mm -hmm. everything, everything else. And if it doesn't have Tom Cruise in it, we're like, well, it must be true. Must be (laughs) right. And, And it goes back to like, it goes back to, and I've asked you this before about like, you know, quote unquote, mainstream diet books, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, who's, who's in charge of making sure that it's not bunk? Well, nobody yeah. is. Nobody's yeah. in charge of that. And it's the same with documentaries. And so we've got to be careful as consumers not to just presume, well, like this is a, it's like they made a book of it. It must be true. Like, cause they, if it, if it wasn't true, then why would the person write the book? <laughs> I know. And I think the word documentary is just also interesting. It kind of comes with this assumption that they are documenting the truth, right? Yes. Versus like yep. story. This is a story. Yep. And here's the thing is I actually believe, I think this is a good, a good nuance here. I actually believe those athletes saw performance gains from their diet change. Yeah. I actually believe by eating a more plant-based diet, they were probably more focused in on getting enough protein, which before they were probably like, ah, it's probably fine. They were probably Mm -hmm. eating more fruits and veggies. Guess what? That's one of the most common responses I see from the 800 gram challenge. It's not weight loss. People talk about performance improvements anecdotally, more energy, all of that stuff. And so I actually believe those athletes did, but is it because specifically they had to do it vegan? No, it's because they achieved these endpoints that we talked about. So that's the thing about documentaries. It, it just presents this storyline and we assume that it's the truth because they're documenting and they're trying to do it in this realistic way. But again, they have to sell a story coming out with like, well, these are no less than 100 ways that you can eat and still achieve mm-hmm. an optimal performance just doesn't sell. <laughs> yeah. Here are 50 different ways to skin the cat and get the outcome you want. And we don't have an opinion on which one you should do. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see that documentary. One athlete per nutritional approach. Right. Let's just see, let's just let's just put it on the table. Like you can get you can be successful. Totally. Like, maybe, yeah. All right. Last question. Eric asks, what do you think about the chicken chips being advertised at the CrossFit Games? I also am curious about the chicken chips being oh, advertised chicken at the CrossFit chips. Games. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a couple brands out there. From what I can tell, they are made out of chicken breast egg whites and like bone broth and then some seasoning. And they really do. Mm-hmm. I actually did buy them, not not at the CrossFit Games, but I think last year in Boulder, I was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> they do have the crispiness of regular potato chips. You know, you would think I would be able to answer this simply yes or no on this. But the first thing I want to say, you know, he specifically asked about the CrossFit Games. And this wasn't directed at him by any means, but I did have other questions about sponsors and what, what's being sold in various sporting venues. And I just think that, you know, we have to remember that 
while CrossFitters might tend to want more burrito bowls than the mainstream, that there's plenty of CrossFitters who want to go to the CrossFit Games and have a beer and have snacks, and that's okay, and we can include mm-hmm. them in part of a healthy diet. So I sometimes think it's like, <laughs> well, they shouldn't be selling anything that looks... And Eric didn't say this, so this is not directed to him, but yep. again, just other questions like, well, they shouldn't be selling this. And it's like, okay, let's be a little realistic. We can have these foods in our diet, and have going out to these events is the perfect time when people enjoy these things, right? Okay, let's get into the chips. So... I don't really think they're that much of a win. In a serving size of these chips, that's about 30 grams by weight, you end up eating 140 calories. If you were to Mm -hmm. compare that to a classic traditional nacho chip, it's about the same serving size, 28 grams in a serving size of those conventional chips for about 150 calories. So here you get to eat two grams more, which is indistinguishable, (laughs) (laughs) and you save 10 calories in terms of overall amount. That's really nothing. Now, what they're trying to sell you on here is that they're these high protein, low carb. So what we find in these 140 calories of the chicken chips is you're getting 10 grams of protein. If we were to eat 10 grams of protein from just egg whites, not the chip with the egg whites, we would only eat 40 calories. Mm. So we would eat 100 calories left if we were to eat this truly as as protein. So protein is only 28% of the overall calories that you're eating. So again, it's kind of like, you know, protein bars. They're advertised as protein bars. They're advertised as protein chips. They're not really our best source of protein. And now when we compare that amount of protein to the nacho chips, you know, conventional nacho chips in that serving have about 2 grams of protein, certainly less than 10, but basically you're telling me, that you're getting this difference of eight grams of protein. You know, Mm -hmm. that's not a big swing on the day when you're shooting for 100 or 110. I really don't think it should be your convincing idea of like, well, this is how I'm going to get protein for the day because you have to eat so many carbs and fat calories to get there. In my opinion, it's better to treat them like I am eating chips. I'm eating chips because I like the taste of chips and they can fit in part of my diet. The other selling Mm -hmm. point is that, you know, they're lower carb, higher fat ratio. We'll link to the low carb versus low fat podcast, but we really have to just stay focused on what are the total calories coming from between those two. And until that's controlled, the ratio between them really doesn't matter. We don't want to think that low carb is always better. We have to look at what's the total calories I'm getting of carbs and fat. And when we do that in these chips, we we find that that ratio isn't that much substantially better, that we're really making kind of a health choice here versus again, I'm having chips because... I want to have chips. (laughs) So if you love them, go for them. But I don't think it's a big win over any other chip out there. Got it. Thank you. What, uh, let's remind folks, what's the best way or what's the easiest way or the most effective way other than showing up at your house and knocking on the door? What's the best way to get a question into the queue? Yeah. OptimizeMeNutrition.com slash email. I try to send out weekly-ish content, but that's also where you just click reply, type away. And I add it to the official queue. Fantastic. Thank you, EC. Thank you, everybody out there who does send us questions and those who leave us ratings and reviews. The latter do help new folks find the show. So if you haven't yet, please, wherever you're listening to this, give us a little thumbs up. EC and I will be back next week for another episode of The Consistency Project. so much for tuning into the show today. I know there is a ton of content out there, and I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen to The Consistency Project. 
If you enjoyed the show, I appreciate you leaving a five-star rating and review. And sharing it on social media or recommending it to your friends and family really does help the podcast grow. As the podcast grows, I can keep bringing you weekly content. And if you want even more bonus content, you can join my email list at optimizemenutrition.com slash email. There's weekly emails, and it's also the best way to get your questions answered on the podcast. Just hit reply to any email to get in the queue, or even just send ideas in for future podcast episodes. Again, to do that, join my email list at optimizemenutrition.com slash email, and the link is also in the show notes. I'll see you there.